Now to growing concerns about the deadly coronavirus officially hitting the U.S. I'm in one of those adventures of adulthood. That adventure that so many of us looked forward to. Nah, just kidding. My daughter's learning how to drive, right? That is one of those adventures as an adult that can freak you out as you're sitting in the passenger seat and they're taking off for their first time. And there's a lesson that always comes about. One lesson that you always need to teach them. Where they look is where they'll go, right? You're heading down that street and they start looking to their right and the car starts drifting to the right. They look to their left, the car starts drifting to the left. It is one of the frightening things. Just look forward, you say. Where you look is where you'll go. Keep your aim pointed in that direction. You know, that is a truism that covers a lot of different fields. For example, years ago, I was in a hunting class where I needed to get my hunting license. And so they taught us basically the Ten Commandments of hunting. The most important one that they fixated on constantly was never point the muzzle of your gun at anything that you're not aiming to shoot at. And so when you're walking, you make sure it's pointed up. When you're anywhere else with people, you always make sure that when you finally point that muzzle, you are willing to shoot what you're aiming at. Because where you aim is where that bullet's going to go. Where you aim is where all that energy is going to go forward. And this is the truth for our life. This is the truth for churches, especially for leaders. That where your leader aims, where your leader is goal-oriented to, is where the congregation is going to go. Because as the leader goes, so goes the congregation. That's why we've been looking at the book of 1 Timothy. In fact, we're going to continue on here in this book of 1 Timothy. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 7 today. And the reason I bring this up is because 1 Timothy is a letter to leaders. It is uh, Paul the Apostle, who was once a rebel against the church, saw the resurrected Christ and came to faith, became the greatest church planter, uh, has a protege named Timothy. Now, he's told Timothy, hey, there's some guys out there who are teaching some pretty lousy stuff in Ephesus. The, uh, the, the Ephesian elders are getting distracted on speculations and stuff. Get them refocused. Bring them back in or remove them if they're teaching false teachings because, hey, where the leaders go, so goes the congregation. And this is the key critical point as we read this because we want to remember what we're learning from 1 Timothy is what you and I are going to be guided by with our leadership and other things. And so it's a challenge to me. It's a challenge to you. And so Paul's going to continue after he's kind of headed off the pass on these speculations. He's going to basically say, hey, guys, keep your aim. Keep your focus on the gospel because as you've opened there now we can begin to see that the aim that you and I are supposed to have in the gospel is the aim of love here's how it reads the aim of our charge he says the aim of our charge is love 
that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So the aim, he says, of our charge, the aim of what I'm telling you, Timothy, the aim of correcting these teachers, the aim in all this stuff is so that there is love. So the church has a focus and a fixation on love. Guys, everything that Olive Branch is supposed to be about should aim at producing love. It should aim at you and me loving entirely. Now, well, hold on. Love is one of those crazy words in our culture. Oftentimes, it's only focused on an emotion. And it's not just an emotion. In fact, if you dig into the history of the concept of love, you're going to discover often the church spoke of it as a self-sacrificial act. It is a way of putting another person before you for their best, being unfair to yourself so that someone else can receive the benefit, right? So we've covered these ideas before, but just to clarify, love is is emotional, but it's also directional. It, it, it's mental. It moves your heart. It moves your actions. The, the old way of talking about it is love is an affection, not an affect, an affection, an affection, something that motivates from the mind and the emotion, the will to action. It's an inclination of our hearts, an inclination of our mind. It, it motivates us. So let me give you an example. Um, you can't have a love for your enemy and have it be emotional. I mean, you're basically in a war zone, and you're going to be fighting off the Nazis, or you're fighting off your enemy, the Russians, whatever it was at the time period. And when you captured your enemy, the thought in the Christian world was, you don't abuse your enemy. You don't abuse these people that you've captured. You don't enslave them. You love your enemy. And so they would provide them four square meals. They would make sure that they were healthy. They would tend to their wounds. They wouldn't just throw them down and shoot them, unlike what Hollywood would think, right? No, the goal was very clearly to be a people who loved our enemies. That's not going to be emotional. You're not going to capture this guy who is against you, who killed your friend, and feel good things. But love from God who loved his enemies motivates us as Christians then to care and love, to be uh, kind of unfair to ourselves, to love our enemy. You see how it's not an emotion? That love can also simply just be the inclination to do what God has done for us. So no wonder then when, when Paul says that the aim of our charge, the aim of the church, the aim of what we are supposed to do in removing these false teachers and their distractions is love that we need to keep focused on that gospel because that gospel brings about love. And this isn't just any love. Let's, let's clarify even further because that's just kind of a general term. I'm just going to love people. Yay! No. Uh, clearly, Paul is aiming at the teachings of Jesus, that we're to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here at Olive Ranch, we say we're going to love Christ, right guys? We're going to love Christ. It says in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love, there's our term, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That, that is the whole of us. That is an affection. That is a mind, a heart, a will. All of what we do is aimed at being unfair to ourselves for the sake of our God, being willing to self-sacrifice for the sake of our God that He is so good and so precious and so just amazing to us. We're devoted to Him. We're after Him. This is love. 
when I talk about the idea of loving Christ, when we at Olive Branch, we're going to love, live, and share Christ. When I say love Christ, when I say love God, I mean that you're going to do that individually in your own time. I pray that you are spending that important time every day in prayer, reading the Word of God, getting connected with the Lord, talking to Him. This is, this is a time for you to be dedicated to your King, to follow the leadership of your Lord, to wake up in the morning and just go about your business without connecting with God is something that we don't want to do here. I want to challenge you to re-up and regather together to have that time alone with God, that individual connection, because the aim of our charge is that you would love Christ, not just individually, though, but corporately as well. So I want to encourage you, if you have yet to have gotten back into the corporate worship, whether it's in your small group where you're learning in a corporate setting and growing deeper in your love for Christ, whether it's coming and singing worship outside where you're safe or in the drive-in of some kind, where you have this opportunity to praise God in a corporate setting, you're loving Christ corporately as well as you love Him individually. And these things mix together to be a full orb expression of our learning about God and growing about God because the aim, the aim, the focus of our church, the focus of what we're to do is the gospel, which is to love God. It brings about a love of God. It brings about a love of our church. You see, that's the other part. Jesus clearly told us we to love each other, right? The second is like, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We need to love our neighbor. We need to connect with each other. And Jesus before that even told us that we were to love one another as Christ loved us. There is a love of the brothers and there is a love of our neighbor. These two things combine. A neighbor is just someone who dwells near you. It starts with the love of your church. It starts with the love of the brothers. It's where we're giving and caring for each other. And right now, I just want to encourage you if you've gotten out of the habit of giving, if you've gotten out of the habit of using your finances, um, there are a lot of cases that the things that we're doing here at Olive Ranch to help you guys grow in your love for Christ, to give you opportunities to go live for Christ, to, to love your neighbor and love your brothers, honestly, it happens because of your, your generous giving. And right now in COVID, there's been a lot of financial struggles, there's been a lot of stuff, and some of us have backed off that giving. Can I just invite you not to? There's a lot of ministry that goes on that is run because you guys are willing to give and you guys are willing to give not just your finances, but your time. Some of you have yet to step back into the ministry and maybe it's an opportunity for you to call the church, call your old leader that you are a part of that ministry with and say, hey, I know I've been out for a bit. Is there something I can do even from home? Is there something I can do during the week? Is there something I can do to help move forward? Because I want to love my church. I want to love my brothers as Christ loved me. And I'm not going to let COVID defeat that. I'm not going to let anything hold me back. I'm not going to let these things stop me. I want to be focused on the gospel. I want to be focused on the love I want to have that aim down. Or maybe it's also loving your neighbor. This is the time where there's somebody who's in need. There's something you want to do. You want to step in and connect with them. Take hold of that. Move forward. Take that opportunity because we want to be those good citizens. We want to be those good parents. We want to be those good coworkers. We want to be those good neighbors. And there's always a way to be a little bit unfair to yourself in order to bless and care for somebody around you as we're called, because this is the aim that we would love Christ and we would live for Christ, right? That we would, we would love our neighbors and love the church and that these things would come together as we share him and as we live this out. And this is the aim. We want to keep focused on that gospel. Now, the reason this love will come out is as you keep focused on that gospel. See, love comes from a gospel-focused 
life. If you're struggling, you're saying, I don't know, I don't, I don't feel like I want to care for people, I'm not inclined, it's not, it's not driving me, then you need to get on your focus of the gospel. You need to get back to that because love comes from that gospel-focused life. And that's what Paul's indicating here. He wants to make it clear. Let's look again at 1 Timothy verse 5 of chapter 1. He says it again. The aim of our charge is love. So we know that's the aim, but that love... Note it issues, it comes from, it's a really strange term, issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. And what he's saying is that this love comes out of a headwaters. It's like a, a river that's streaming down, but it's coming from three fountains, three locations, right? A pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. These three things are tributaries that flow into our lives and bring forth love. The love of God, the love of neighbor, the love of the church, the sh willingness to share Christ. This is what emerges out of these three things. We see this, actually, from the Old Testament. I believe what Paul was doing was grabbing these concepts from a very well-known psalm, Psalm chapter 24. In Psalm 24, which we just basically sang earlier in the service, we read this. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? If you want to see God, if you want to be in heaven in his presence, ascending to his hill, being with him, then here's the kind of person that we need to be. He who has clean hands, that would be that conscience, right? I don't have blood on my hands, my conscience is clean. A pure heart, we've seen that. And who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, meaning he's a true and sincere faith. Man, he really trusts God. No other thing does he go to run after. I believe what Paul was doing is pulling these things in because he knew that Jesus had focused on this, right? He told us, those of us who are pure in heart, we will see God. We'll ascend the hill of the Lord. We'll be people who are hungry and thirsting for righteousness, and we will be filled. This is what we receive when these three things are available in our lives. How do we have those? Again, it comes from the focus on the gospel. Because right now, you may be thinking, I don't have a pure heart. Oh, my conscience is definitely not good. I feel guilty. Oh, you know what? Uh, kind of, I don't know if I'm faking it in my faith or not. If you want to understand these three things can be changed, then it is our duty when we get up and we're connecting with God in the morning and we're loving after Him, we know Him. Guys, you got to focus on the gospel again. Get back to applying the gospel because the gospel is where these three things, that pure heart, that clear conscience, that good conscience, and that sincere faith emerge from, and they bring love, and the love flows out of this. And so love is going to come from a pure heart. Love is going to come out of this, and, that, and that's because as we focus on that gospel, God gives us the pure heart. Yes, you may feel like you are not good. You may know that you don't have a pure heart. I mean, you look inside of yourself and you see exactly what Jesus told us about the heart. He says it's from within, out of the heart of man, that come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus was very clear, guys. It's not your society that makes you do wrong. It's not your history and your upbringing that makes us do wrong. He's saying, hey, you can clean the outside of the cup. You can wash your hands off as many times as you want. No, cleaning yourself on the outside will not change the inside. We may want to get up and virtue signal on our Facebook pages. 
We may want to go out and protest and do things like this, but unless our hearts are changed from these evil things he calls them, our lives are not going to change. It isn't the society. It isn't the government. You're not brainwashed into doing evil. It's not because you were raised that way. It's not your personality. It is the sinfulness of our heart, Jesus said. It's the wickedness that is bound up inside of a heart that is not pure. Do you hear what I'm saying? Our hearts have to be changed. And praise God that Jesus is the one who changes it. Right? On the, on the cross, Jesus changes our hearts. I was the young boy who was filled with this one right here, pride. And it, it consumed me so much. I was racing after being known. I remember in sixth grade feeling finally like I was tired of, uh, of just being picked on and poked on. So I, I targeted one kid in my class. David was a, a guy who had some, some issues with his own kind of a uh, with saliva and overproduction, he was a, such a nice guy, and he was a, he was a kind of a friend to me. And one day, I just decided, you know, what I'm gonna do. I'm run up right behind him and just kind of brush the back of his head, just whack him slightly on the back, and I smacked him so hard. I deserved the trouble I got, and I know inside of my heart where I was telling myself, oh, I just wanted to barely buzz him. I was I was being wicked. I was being cruel. I was trying to to keep my own value up. That came from my heart. That didn't come from my family, come from anywhere. That came from me. And the thing is that we have to acknowledge that it was on the cross that Jesus bore that sin. He took this wickedness. He removed it. He washed my soul clean when I received him. And that's the gospel where God gives us the new heart. He gives us the new motivations. He gives us his spirit within us so that now I'm motivated to do his things. I'm motivated to be after his life. I'm motivated to, to, to love him and to live for him and to share him. And my heart is purified because of Christ, not because of anything I did, not because I stood on the right side of history, not because of anything. No, I'm transformed because Jesus transformed me. And now that heart condition, which has been transformed, is going to move forward. And it's going to motivate me to enable love of my neighbors and my others. All this stuff, this is unloving to my neighbors, but now it's unloving to God. Now I love God and I want to love my neighbors. I want that to come out of my life because my heart motivations have been changed. So that's the first tributary. The second tributary is that we have a good conscience. Now, our conscience isn't always good. Maybe you're one of those people, you know it, you feel a guilty conscience. Man, you grew up and you constantly feel guilty. You, I live with a few people who feel like this. It's just constantly everything you do, you feel guilty. You feel guilty. You have a guilty conscience. Some of you don't feel guilt ever. You never feel guilt, right? You're just like, ah, whatever. But it doesn't mean you're not guilty. It doesn't mean that your conscience isn't telling you're guilty. The conscience is also an internal thinking that acknowledges you did something wrong, whether you feel it or not. And the point is that we would call it you're legally guilty. Everyone before God is legally guilty, whether we feel guilty or not, whether our conscience is shouting emotionally at us or mentally at us, because James clarifies this to us. He's the brother of Jesus who didn't believe and came to believe his brother was God. Try that one on for size. And yet he says this to the church. Whoever keeps the whole of the law but fails in one point, they become guilty of it all. So, because he says, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So, same person, 
right? If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you've become a transgressor of the law, the whole law. Just because you break one point doesn't mean that you, you haven't broken all of it. No, he's saying, listen, it's, you, you've broken it because of the person behind it. We're all guilty legally before the judge, before God. We can't go like, hey, look, I fulfilled five of them just because I broke uh, the other five. doesn't mean I'm guilty. No, we are guilty for breaking just one. Whether you emotionally feel it or whether we are mentally aware of it, we are guilty before God. And yet it's Jesus that cleanses of, of that guilt. The book of Hebrews constantly references this. Again, the gospel is clear. If the blood of goats and bulls, which is how they cleanse themselves in the Old Testament, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh. In other words, hey, because you do these animal sacrifices, they cleanse you from your sins physically. How much more will the blood of Christ, his work on the cross that bore your sin, that took your judgment, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, pure, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. If you want to be purified in your conscience from the, the wickedness and the brokenness that we've done, then hey, you know what? You need Jesus to cleanse your heart. And that's what the gospel does. When we keep fixated on the gospel, we remember our conscience is clean. He's cleaned us up, and that means that I want to draw near to God. As he says later, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and let our bodies be washed with pure water. Man, we're ready to go. You can get in the presence of God. You can ask him and pray for others. You can see him work in you. You love him, right? Your conscience is clean. You're not guilty before God. You're not like, oh, God, I'm really scared to be with you right now. You're, you're near him. Him. And from there, his instructions to care for people and love people motivate, and they move through us. And now, I want to follow the Spirit that's within me, who has cleansed me, and he's going to convict and guide my, my soul towards doing the good. Here's my challenge. If you've got a good conscience now, the Spirit of God's going to give you inclinations. Lean to the good. If you know the Scriptures and you know it's good, do it. Lean into it. Even if you don't feel like it, do it. What you will see is your conscience stays clean before God. You're going to keep following, and you're going to love God. You're going to love your neighbor. You're going to love the church. You're going to love Christ, live Christ. You'll share Christ because what you're doing is actually being transformed with love. The tributary of a pure heart, the tributary that comes flowing out of a good conscience, and the tributary that comes from a sincere faith. You see, this is the faith that we're talking about that's sincere. It is, in other words, genuine. It's without hypocrisy. And Paul says it's that kind of love, that kind of faith that creates love. It's the faith in Jesus who has cleansed our hearts, purified who we are, so that what we say matches how we live. When I say I love Christ, it means I'm loving him individually and corporally. It just doesn't happen at church. It happens when I'm alone. And it doesn't happen at alone and I go like, well, I don't need the church. No, it happens in the public and the private. We live it out. It doesn't just stay with us at church. It goes out into our world wherever we go. And it doesn't, and it doesn't worry about if, it, if it's going to offend someone when we share it. I'll be honest, part of my trouble with sincerity and my faith has often been because I feel like I'm befriending someone just to give them the gospel. Well, that's a great thing. That's not a duplicitous thing. Whether they receive it or not, I'll still love them. I'll still care about them. I'll still want to be their friend. But hey, guys, yeah, I'm going to befriend people so they can know Jesus 
Because what kind of friend am I if I have the answer to their sinful issues and open to heaven and remove them from hell? If I truly don't offer that to them, do I really love them? That's insincere. And maybe what we've done is we flipped in our head somewhere back there that if I really care about someone and I, I don't ever give them Jesus, well, no, no, you, you, we should because that's a sincere faith. When you're at work, does your, does your language shift? Does it suddenly change? It shouldn't. When you're convicted and walking with God and the gospel's cleansed you up, then that sincere faith will flow from the focus on the gospel as you're walking around at work realizing, I stand as a Christian, and they're looking at me. When I'm on the road, I stand as a Christian, they're looking at me. When I'm raising my kids, they look at me and I stand as a Christian. In a marriage, you stand as a Christian, you stand before the Lord. And it's a focused gospel that then enables us to love sincerely everyone around us and God. These are those three tributaries. They flow together. I think what Paul gives us is amazing. This is the focus. Focus on the gospel. It changes our hearts. It changes our conscience. It makes us sincere in our faith. And then, boom, it flows out to loving God and loving others. It flows out from loving God and living for Him in our, with our neighbors, in our church, and sharing Him wherever we go. This is the beauty of what we get to see. And so I want to encourage you that you should allow this into your life, this focus. You see, here's the beautiful thing. It's not a, it's not a legalism. I'm not telling you you have to love God and you have to. No, it comes out of a response that he's done these as a gift. When you trusted him, he cleanses your heart. When you, when you trust him, he's wiped away your guilt. When you trust him, he gives you a faith that is sincere and true and love will flow. This is a response. It's worship. It comes out of us, my friends. It doesn't have to be something we make happen. Because if you get into that, you're falling right in to what Paul is trying to say. Stop them, Timothy. As the leader goes, so goes the church. No, we're not about legalism. We're not about license. We're not about these things. No, we are after the focus. Keep focus, church. And that's the point. We need to, no wonder Paul says, stop the distractions because they disable the love. And we need to stop the distractions as leaders. We need to stop the distractions as Christians because these distractions stop the love. They disable it. It's a lot like when I was a kid, I'd get to go with my grandparents. We'd head down into LA at times. And as you're driving around in LA, it gets pretty intense. I don't know if you've, you, know, you remember driving in those streets. You got to cut people off to change lanes because people won't let you in. And me and my sisters, or me and my cousin, we'd be bouncing around, goofing. Blah, blah, blah. My grandmother would turn around and say, Stop it. We're in LA and your grandfather needs to focus. Do you want us to get in an accident? And that was the point. I was being a distraction to his focus and was going to be a danger to me. False teaching and false and, and all these different things are a distraction to the leader and then distracts the church so that we don't hit our aim, which is love. And so Paul's saying, hey guys, we need to deal with this, like he said last week. We need to get away from these speculations, all this kind of esoteric theology and these myths and these conspiracy theories. They don't help. They don't bring about loving Christ and living for Christ and sharing Christ. It doesn't happen that way. You know, we need to get away from legalism, as we'll see this week, and even license. These are the three main distractions that have been thrown at the church, and they disable love. Well, let me just kind of lay this out. See, he says, certain persons, by swerving from these, meaning a good conscience, a pure, you know, a pure heart, and that wonderful, wonderful, sincere faith. You know, he says, by swerving, being distracted and, and driving off in a different direction. 
have wandered. They lost focus. When they lost the focus on the gospel, they wandered away into all these distractions. He says, they wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law. We want to teach the law, right? Without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. There's a lot of people out there who want to tell you how the Bible is supposed to be read and what it really says and all this stuff. They're just getting caught up in one of the three things, speculations, or possibly legalism, or license. These three false teachings lead us away from the gospel and therefore cut off the tributaries that produce love. And we will end up defiling our conscience, we'll end up searing it closed, we'll end up with an unpure heart, or we'll end up with an insincere faith. Let me show you how this works out. See, when we're distracted from the gospel, we wind up dis disabling a love from a pure heart. See, when I'm distracted by speculations, when I'm distracted by the idea of all these other pet theological things, I will get so focused on my own beliefs, I start to ignore God. He may be calling me to do something, but I need to, I need to really keep fighting for this creed or this, this belief. And I end up treating the brothers in Christ who truly love Jesus and start judging whether they're really Christians off a theological viewpoint that is mine. I'm not talking about essentials. I'm talking about a pet, a pet theology or a mythology or some kind of distraction, some vain discussion. That's not loving the church. That won't end up causing any love for our neighbors. In fact, oftentimes we wind up trying to mold them after us. This is what the Pharisees were doing, and it causes issues. I've seen it over and over and over again in my own life. Then, you know, sometimes legalism will actually destroy that pure heart. The pure heart is one where we're right before God, and, but legalism says, nope, there are these rules, and you need to follow them, boom, 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 and it justifies the reasons we can sin. And I will actually do sin and say, I'm still good by the law. And Jesus was handling this constantly. Here are the Pharisees sinning all over the place, but we're like, well, we dedicated this to God. He's like, but you're dishonoring your parents. There have been plenty of people right now who are out there saying, shout for the right things, post about the right things, make sure you stand rightly for these movements. And if you do this, you'll earn in credit. And it's like that, that leaves you, you become so hateful and mean to other people. You don't love your neighbor. You're not loving God. It's not coming from what you've received. You're trying to produce it. And it's a distraction. License is even worse because license ignores that our heart is sinful at all. It just sort of says, yeah, I'm good. And we don't even think about the sin in the first place. We don't even realize that the pornography that you're watching is evil and wrong and harmful. You don't realize your anger isn't part of your personality. It's a sin. You don't realize your impatience is something you're just letting go. No, we're not convicted at all by our conscience. And love is defeated because we're not even focused on the gospel. We're distracted by something else. And the heart is wicked. Now, these same distractions disable from a good conscience. In fact, we can see that false teachers, their consciences were seared. Later in 1 Timothy, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times, the end times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. You can sear your conscience. You can get to the place where you don't believe anything is right or wrong. You're fine with yourself. I am who I am. I get to do what I want to do. That kills love. 
First of all, speculation will dull the conscience. It'll sear the conscience because you're so fixated on these things, you don't see the sin, that there's, that there's no need for action or whatever. It, legalism obviously sears the, guilty con sears the conscience. It makes it guilty. It literally causes the, the, guilt, the conscience to become so guilty because you can't fulfill these laws. You're struggling with legalism. You likely struggle with a guilty conscience. You are probably hearing me laying down rules for you instead of telling you, go back to the gospel, what you get from God through grace, not earning it. It's grace. He cleanses your heart with grace. He gives you a clean conscience with grace. He gives you a sincere faith from grace. This is a gift given to you. Don't earn it. Just receive it and be cleansed in your conscience. But if you live in a guilty conscience, man, all these things are rules. You failed God here. You failed God there. You failed other people, and you don't love people well enough. And I'll get no. You see how legalism destroys the conscience? It crushes it. Legal, and license destroys the conscience because it just completely sears it like these guys are, where they don't feel anything guilty or otherwise. Same thing. Speculations destroy a sincere faith. They, they lead us to a place where um, we're just about our ideas. And it's not about the faith at all. And, and to be quite honest, I've met people who literally from their pride led people away to their beliefs, not to Christ. Love was gone. They were mean and cruel and angry, harming people's faith and challenging people and being vicious to pastors. I watched it. It was all from their speculations, all from their diving deep into little weird aspects of their theology. Legalism will cover over a sincere faith because you'll be doing good things and you'll be a good person and but inside you're not you're guilty whether you feel it or not there's guilt because you've failed but you're going to do good things to overcome it that just ruins that love that sincere faith you're a faker you are you're faking it you think you can go to church and do good things and that shows that nope it's whether or not you know christ alone has given you that good conscience so whether or not you know Christ alone has given you what you need to live sincerely in this world because otherwise you're simply going to let license take control. I've met young men who are out smoking pot like crazy and they could tell me the gospel, oh, Jesus, he bore my sins on the cross, right? But they were so seared in their conscience. They were so insincere in their faith at this point. You could tell they were just using words. They didn't really follow Jesus. They didn't truly love God or live for him. They were just words, man. They could share the gospel, but had no content in it. Some of us can get so fixated on loving God that there's no life that we're living out. And some of us can just live it all the time. You end up in legalism. And you're not sharing him, and it's not a really a relationship. And so I want to let you know, if, your heart, if you find, man, I've been distracted. My heart is dirty. Ah, I feel like I have a guilty conscience. Let me give you some simple steps forward. Number one, just confess your sin. Go to God. Say, God, I've sinned. I confess it to you. Here's what it is. And then remember the gospel. Remember Jesus bore your sin on the cross. Whatever it is today, the gossip, whether it's just your anger, the bitterness, whether it's your insincerity and your faith, whether whatever your conscience is guilty of, whatever you see in your heart that's impure, bring it to God. Confess that and then remember Jesus on the cross. He bore it for you. He took it away from you. It's a gift given to you. And that's why you receive it again. You say, God, I received that grace. I want it. I'm going to take it in a new thank you. 
Man, don't, th at that point, unload the guilt, get back up, start walking in relationship with him, rise up and rejoice. He rise up, literally get away from that situation, get out there and engage in loving God, get in the word, go back to worship, get out and, and love your church, get back in ministry, get love the church, love your neighbors, start caring for them, share Jesus, get back involved to making him known wherever we go because that is why the grace has been given you. It's not legalism, it's a response. It's worship. It comes up. You rise up. You rejoice. God, you love me. I want to love others. God, you forgave me. I forgive them. God, you overcame my sin. I want to help other people overcome theirs. Oh, God, you gave me a gift when I thought I had nothing. I want to use my gift to serve others in you. All this is worship. It's a response, response, response. And love is the response that comes from a gospel-focused life. Are you distracted? Don't be distracted. Let the gospel be your focus. And when that happens, love will flow out. That is the call that we have, to focus on that gospel that cleanses us and brings forth love, a love of God, a love of the church, a love of the neighbors, an opportunity to help them and love everyone around us. Guys, what an awesome thing we have. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for the grace. Thank you that you've given us clean hands and a pure heart. Thank you that we will not lift our souls to another. Thank you that you have given us this faith and we can love you, God. Oh, we want to love you more for what you've given us. We want to love you together. We want to love you by ourselves, God. We want to love our church and we want to love our neighbors. Help us live for you, Jesus. And at every opportunity we can, help us to share the message of the gospel so others can know you, God, wherever we go, that their hearts are cleansed and transformed, that love would grow. Lead us, we pray in Jesus' name.